You can open in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. If you flip open to the middle of your Bible, you'll probably hit Psalms and then just keep going a little further till you hit Proverbs. I wonder if you've ever seen a, a master at work in a, in a given task. You know, some of my closest friends uh, back in Missouri are tile layers, right, by trade, and there's just a skill and an ease uh, with which they are able to work. Or maybe you watch the Olympics, and, and you know, there's, there's these gymnasts that will do something quite easily that you, I could not do if you put a gun to my head. Right, so we can, we can sort of recognize the skill, this, this mastery, even in areas where we are not strong. It's not something that we ourselves are trained in. You know, we can see skill when it's on display. I wonder if you've ever met someone or know someone that's, that just seems to be skilled at life. They just seem to know how to navigate the various trials, pressures, sufferings, temptations associated with this life. And you know, the Bible has a word for, for that. It's called wisdom. And so over the next nine weeks or so, give or take a week or two in there for me to, to go on vacation this summer, but we're going to be uh, walking through the, the first nine chapters of, of Proverbs. And then when fall gets here and, and our folks are all done traveling and we're kind of back together as a family, we'll hop back into Luke. Why the first nine chapters? Because we have nine weeks? No, not really. It's because the structure of the book, right? It's the, the first nine chapters of Proverbs are these speeches, and then chapters 10 through 31 are really what you've come to probably associate the book of Proverbs with, these, these wise, pithy one-liners. That's really chapters 10 through 31. So we're going to look at these wise sayings here in chapters 1 through 9 over the coming weeks, and we want to look at what is wisdom? And how do I attain it? And really, that's our first question. You know, I, I just found it easier this morning to sort of arrange our points by way of question. We're going to try to look at a whole chapter. We'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, but there's five questions I want to try to answer from Proverbs chapter 1. And the first is, what is wisdom? And I had Neil read James because I want us thinking about that wisdom that, that, that comes down from above now for our text, I'll read as we go along here. I want to read the first seven verses here for us as we think about what is wisdom. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So in Proverbs 1, that, that first verse there serves as kind of the title and introduction to the entire book. These are the Proverbs of King Solomon, who is the, the son of King David. And Proverbs are like wise sayings that, that instruct us about life in this world. It, it is like the lab in which we can study God's world and figure out, we used that word navigate earlier, like how we can navigate this life. You know, we can, if we would dedicate ourselves to the study of Proverbs, we can save ourselves a, a, a lot of heartache. We can save ourselves from learning the hard way, right? The world wants to live and learn. You know, you just sort of stumble through life and then you, and, and there's, there's a little bit of truth to that. But the reality is if we'll, we'll give ourselves to the book of Proverbs, we might learn so that we can then live. Right? It instructs us how to live life in God's world. Proverbs is like a flight simulator that keeps you from hop, hopping in a cockpit and crashing and burning. You know, you can sort of learn what life should be like in God's world that He has made. So Proverbs not only warns us about paths to avoid, but it points us to, to the path of life, the path of wisdom, the path of a life worth living. So this is the Proverbs of Solomon, the king of Israel, 
who actually himself sought God's wisdom and how he might lead God's people and was rewarded for it. The Lord gave Solomon wisdom, and now he is writing to his son to point him to the path of wisdom. And so we see, not only do we get that introduction in verse 1, but in verses 2 through 6, we get sort of a, a purpose statement. If you're a Bible underliner, you can underline that word too. In verses 2 through 6, he just keeps laying out why he's writing. Why, why the Proverbs? To do this, to do this, to do this, to do this. And what, what, what Solomon does is he kind of piles up synonyms to make his point. And these words, insight, knowledge, discretion, wisdom, they, they sort of come together to give you this, this broad view of what we're talking about when we say wisdom. We might say there are various shades of that one word, Wisdom. They overlap in meaning, but together they sort of come together and they give us this full-orbed view of what we mean when we say the word wisdom. And if we had to sort of boil down what, what Solomon does in those first few verses, we might say that there's two things that, that this book will do in God's people. One, it will shape their character. It will shape their character. And two, it will help them discern truth from error, discern goodness from evil, discern folly from wisdom. So it shapes your character and it gives you discernment. That's what, that's what Proverbs does. Shapes your character and gives you discernment. And so verse two is sort of the, the, the big picture. That's, that's where we get those, those, those two categories. To know wisdom and instruction. We'll explain this in a minute, but that's, that's character. To understand words of insight, that's discernment. And so verse 2 is sort of the big picture, then verses 3 through 6 uh, kind of tease that out a little bit. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing. That, that wise dealing, it's the same word applied to Abigail in 1 Samuel 25, right? Abigail, it says in 1 Samuel 25, 3, now the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife, Abigail, the woman was discerning. She was wise. She was discerning. She was instructed in wise dealing and she was beautiful. But the man, Nabal, he was harsh and badly behaved. So, so Abigail is instructed in wise dealings. She's discerning her husband. If you, you can read this later on, we don't have time to turn there and read the whole story. But he about gets himself killed with his folly. In fact, he does get himself killed. He almost gets himself killed by David's men. The Lord eventually puts him to death because of his folly. So Proverbs, but, but, but Abigail, initially, she, she saves the life of her husband by dealing wisely and exercising discernment and how to deal with these people who probably should kill her husband. She saves them. And so Proverbs will help you take what you know to be true and to see how it impacts all of life. In essence, Proverbs helps you to be like Abigail and avoid being like Nabal. It's to give instruction and wise dealing. It is to give prudence and discretion there in verse 4. Those two words are closely linked. It's to know the ropes, so to speak. Prudence is sometimes translated shrewdness, they probably, which is probably a better word, shrewdness, although sometimes that has negative connotations, something to do with the serpent in the garden, being more shrewd. But it doesn't have to be negative. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way. It's to know the best path forward in any given situation, to have prudence and discretion. And Proverbs is, is written here so that we might have knowledge and understanding there in verse 4 and 5. To know truth through ultimately, we'll see in a minute, knowing God Himself, to grasp God's truth and to live differently in light of it. So what is wisdom? If we sort of Again, take this introduction. What are we talking about when we say wisdom? It's the ability to know what God would have you do. The ability to know what God would have you do in any circumstance, the skill to carry it out, and the will to go for it. 
the ability to know what to do, the skill to carry it out, and the will to actually pull the trigger. So, so when we use that word wisdom, we've got knowledge, we've got skill, we've got volition, and it's sort of all wrapped up in this one term, wisdom. So gaining wisdom then is, is something more than just an intellectual endeavor. It's not only knowing, but it's, it's knowing the best use of what you actually know. It's putting your knowledge into practice. Charles Spurgeon warned this, To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are greater fools for it. There is no fool as great as the knowing fool. So it's not just knowledge. It's knowing God's way, the skill to carry out what God would have you to do and the will to go for it. And wisdom, then we see, is inseparably tied to character. There is no wise person who is not developed in character. You cannot be wise without being godly. You cannot be wise without being godly. And so, as I think about wisdom for Proverbs 1-9, through hopefully by the time we finish this this series, we'll see that there's reasons for, for each of these words, but it's living God's way in God's world for God's glory. Wisdom is living God's way in God's world for God's glory. So if that's what wisdom is, then we're not surprised to understand that it plays itself out in all these little intricacies and all these little aspects of life. Wisdom, the wisdom specifically contained in Proverbs is applicable to everyone in the room. Whether you've been following Christ for 50 years or for five weeks, Proverbs has something to say to you. You know, even if you're here this morning and you're sort of like, I don't know. I don't know about God. I I, I haven't committed myself to Christ. I'm not following the Lord. Like, Proverbs speaks to you this morning. There's a term in in our text that speaks to you and challenges you this morning. In fact, look back there at verse 4 to give prudence to the simple. Now again, we sort of got to get past like just intellectual, right? If we were to call somebody simple, we might be saying they're not smart. Well, the simple person in Proverbs, it's not the dumb person, it's the one who hasn't chosen a path yet. They're susceptible, they might be a little naive, but they haven't really decided, I'm going to go down the path of folly or I'm going to go down the path of wisdom. God's word will speak to you this morning. If you are young and you will hear and you, you are simple and you haven't really dedicated yourself one way or the other, you've sort of maybe just been coming to church because your parents bring you, well, God's word will speak to you this morning if you'll hear it. Wisdom is available to the young there in verse 4. It gives knowledge and discretion to youth. Now, again, if you are Under the age of 25, you should listen to these words. You should study the book of Proverbs. You should memorize the book of, well, maybe not the whole book, but you could start. God has a message for you this morning if you are young. And look there in verse 5. No one's off the hook. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. The wise... Those with understanding, right, they can increase in learning. They can increase in wisdom. They can grow in wisdom. You know, you, aging presents you with unique pressures, unique opportunities, unique circumstances you haven't faced yet. Right? I don't know how many times people have told me, don't grow old. Right? Well, the alternative, I don't like either. <laughs> right? So I, I'll, I guess I'll grow old, but... You know, how do you, how do you know how to face my, my body breaking down and, and parenting kids that are outside? How do, I, how do I navigate these waters? Well, we need, we need wisdom. We need to obtain guidance from God and His Word. So are you simple this morning? Are you young? Are you wise and learned? Well, God's Word has something you need, no matter where you're at. Right? We'll see even later on. There's hope for the fool and the scoffer. So if your heart is hardened to the Lord, there's instruction for you this morning. You know, we were, Liz and I were hiking 
Buzzard's Roost up outside between Pactola and Rapid City. And I don't know, there's so many like different trails. I'm not even sure we did what was right. But there's a point where you sort of get to this thing. It says, if you go this way, it's extreme difficulty. Or you can just kind of like meander down the path, right? You're just sort of strolling down the hill. So no matter where you're at, like if you're, if you're to the point where you're doing extreme, extremely difficult trails or you just want to stroll, there's a message for you. There's wisdom that you need. And here's the promise of Proverbs, right? We're, we got five points. The first two are definitely the longest, so don't, don't get nervous. But here's the promise of Proverbs that's stated and illustrated over and over and over again. If you walk in God's wisdom, you will not waste your life. If you walk in God's wisdom, you will not waste your life. Think about the things that, that Proverbs sort of holds up for us as these God-glorifying activities. You know, there in verse 3, it mentioned a few of them. Righteousness, justice, equity. Right, These God-glorifying things it, throughout the rest of Proverbs, hard work, honesty, generosity, self-control, faithfulness, discipline. Nobody that's characterized by those things is on their deathbed and says, man, I wish I would have had less of that. You will not waste your life if you give yourself to God's wisdom. I wonder if you want those things to be true of you. Self-discipline, righteousness, justice, generosity, faithfulness. I hope you see this morning the beauty that is characterized by God's wisdom. I don't think you'll come to the end of your life and regret being righteous, just, fair, honest, and faithful. Right? Wisdom is a treasure. And, and so, so the question is, though, as you read those things, you say, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want that? Wisdom is so precious, and wisdom is so important. But if that's true, why isn't everybody just running after wisdom? Why isn't everybody giving themselves over to wisdom? Well, the truth is, we aren't born wise. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, right? We aren't born wise. We are born with the inclination to choose the path of folly, to spurn God and His wisdom, to pursue our own desires, our own will, our own agenda. And the reality is we needed Christ to, to, to rescue us from that and over a lifetime to learn wisdom. Learn wisdom from, from potentially a family that taught us wisdom, from God's church and from God's Word. The reality is, wisdom is, is not easy to come across. People in our own hearts are pulling us in the opposite direction. Our hearts desire our own sinful passions. And so it takes work, right? So then the question is, how is wisdom attained? Right? Well, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So that's point number two this morning. How is wisdom attained? Fear God and give yourself to instruction. Verse seven really is, is we said verse one is the title of the book. Verse seven it becomes the motto of the book of Proverbs. You cannot understand Proverbs without verse seven. It is the key that unlocks the rest of the book. It is the key that keeps Proverbs from becoming just a list of things to do and, and, and things not to do. It helps us understand wisdom in light of who God is and how He has made His world. I remember doing a series when I was in student ministry on Proverbs 1 through 9, and, and a friend of mine, he was a young Bible college, overzealous, you know, cage stage, and, and, and he said, you're doing Proverbs? That's not very theological, is it? And it's like, in his mind, Proverbs was some kind of a lesser book in God's Word because it didn't talk about election, right? Well, verse 7 helps us. It is theological because everything in Proverbs is related to the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Chapter 9 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And to say that something is the beginning is, yes, it is certainly to say you have to start here. You have to start here. But it's more than just a starting line. right? To say that something is the beginning 
is to say that it's more than a starting line, right? If you're going to run a race, you start at the starting line, but you want to get as far away from the starting line as quick as you can, right? That's not what it means by beginning here. Instead, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, like a foundation is the beginning of a house. Everything else then is built on top of that foundation. It's like learning your ABCs is the beginning of reading. You start there, but you never move beyond it. All of your reading that that you learn to do is based on the fact that you learned your ABCs. You don't leave it behind. In fact, you can read because you learned your ABCs. And so then the fear of the Lord is that sort of beginning. It is the foundation upon which everything is built. You know, I've said in in the counseling conference, it's like the corner piece of the puzzle from which everything else flows. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Then what is the fear of the Lord? We've talked about this a lot in church, so I'm not going to repeat all of the illustrations we've used in the past. We might just say it this way. Fear of the Lord is a reverential fear and delight in God. It's a reverential fear and delight in God. I've used Lewis's Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe before. I'll quote from his nonfiction here. C.S. Lewis says this, In God you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. You come, up to, you come upon something that is immeasurably superior to yourself, and he says, unless you know God is that, and therefore you know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. He's saying to fear God is to recognize that you've come upon something immeasurably, infinitely greater than you, and in comparison to Him, you you are infinitely small. We see it even in even in the language of the text. In in verse seven, it uses the you know our English says Lord, right? It's it's the Lord's name, Yahweh. So it's it's the God who has revealed Himself to us. He has revealed Himself in creation. He has revealed Himself in Scripture. He has revealed Himself to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so part of fearing the Lord is recognizing that I don't don't have the right to sort of make up or pick and choose what I want to be true about Him and what I don't want to be true about Him. He is immeasurably superior to me, and I am nothing in comparison to Him. So I must submit myself to Him as He has shown Himself to be in creation, in the Word, and in His Son, Jesus Christ. And it is actually through Christ. So despite this infinite difference between me and God, through Christ, I can know Him and be acceptable in His sight. I can be marked safe from the wrath of God because Jesus became the substitute for me. And now, in Christ Jesus, you can stand in that reverential fear or that awe without the threat of judgment because Christ has taken the judgment upon himself. And that's the beginning of wisdom. To see God as infinitely superior and glorious and great, yet in Christ, the, the wrath that should come my way has been removed and poured out on Christ as we just sang. He became sin for us and we become the righteousness of God. And now I'm not afraid of what He'll do to me. I delight in God because, because the terror has been removed. And this is the beginning of wisdom. And it's the beginning in such a way that you cannot walk in God's wisdom if you do not stand in awe of God. And you cannot stand in awe of Him until you have come to Christ and had that threat removed from you. Place your faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and you might truly know the fear of the Lord. Proper fear. A.W. Tozer says this, I believe that reverential fear of God mixed with love and fascination and astonishment and admiration and devotion is the most enjoyable state and the most purifying emotion the human soul can know. He says, in my own being, I could not exist very long as a Christian without this inner fear of God. And he's right. 
Right? Without, you could not exist long as a Christian without the fear of God because without the fear of the Lord tied again to the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the Christian life becomes nothing more than duty. It becomes nothing more than checking boxes and I, I become enslaved to a list of do's and don'ts. I become overwhelmed with my inability to keep the list. Well, what happens when I just get so focused on the list I lose sight of the gospel? I need to cultivate the fear of the Lord by turning my mind, set your mind on the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. Because when you fear the Lord, you see His goodness in His will that He's calling you to walk in. You see His goodness and you see His design in the world. You begin to see that the sort of things that He's calling you to do are not these burdensome tasks meant to harm you, but the path of wisdom that is a a, a wonderful life. He's calling you to a life worth living. And not just a back-breaking labor. You serve as a son or daughter, not just a servant in the household. The fear of the Lord, then, ensures that as we seek to do all the things that Proverbs calls us to do, we're doing it from a, a, a deep worship of the Lord from our hearts. We do it to please Him. Not just to get the outcomes of wisdom, right? It'd be really tempting to preach this book like, well, you know, Solomon says if you work hard, you won't be poor, so shouldn't you work hard? Well, that's just sort of like manipulation. We've got to understand verse 7. We want to work hard because we love God, and and if we receive, uh, you know, we don't receive poverty because of that, we praise God for it. And when you fear God, you are then in a position to do the second thing necessary to attain wisdom. And, and so you, the beginning is the fear of the Lord, and on top of that, then you pursue wisdom with discipline. You pursue wisdom with discipline. The word instruction there carries with it the idea of training or discipline. And what that lets us know then is, is that wisdom is not something that we're sort of zapped with on high, right? We'll just kind of lay around, let go, let God, we'll just, He'll just give it to us. Wisdom isn't something that we gain by emptying our minds. right? That's what the world says meditation is. Empty your minds. We would say, well, if you're going to meditate, fill your minds with the Word of God. So wisdom isn't gained by emptying our minds and engaging in some sort of transcendental meditation. We don't gain wisdom by tapping into our inner self. Instead, we gain wisdom through disciplined pursuits because we are in need of being trained and disciplined in the will of God and the ways of wisdom. Our minds, in other words, need to be reoriented to God's truth. That's why you see that last phrase there, fools despise wisdom and instruction. They don't, they don't want the training. They don't want the discipline. Fools despise it. Right? And that makes sense, right? If God is the source of, of all true wisdom, God alone is, is wise. We are sort of derivatively wise as we walk in, in His ways. Any true wisdom, as Neil read this morning, it comes down from above. It doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from my heart. And so the fool, right, the psalmist says, the fool says in his heart there is no God. So of course he despises that which comes down from above. And so then the question becomes, well, I need to pursue this. Where? Where do we go? Well, we go then to his word. Right? If if wisdom is founded on the fear of the Lord, and wisdom is gleaned from him as it comes down from above as the only source of true wisdom, then I must look to his revelation to know him and to know wisdom. Right? Proverbs 2.6 says this, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Right? Psalm 19, it's all about like creation, and then there's that turn in the middle of Psalm 19 towards special revelation, the Word. 
For the Lord, uh, uh, Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. How do you move into wisdom? The testimony of the Lord. The word of the Lord. So to pursue wisdom then is to be teachable. It's to be open to correction from God's revelation of himself. It's to listen well to the exposition of the word and to seek to apply it to your own life. It's to memorize it and hide it in your heart so that you might not sin against him, that you might be prepared for suffering, that you might be prepared for temptation, that you might be prepared for conflict and, and, and money issues and all the other things Proverbs will discuss. So only those who fear God will desire to hear his voice. Only those who fear God will delight in hearing His voice. Therefore, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it takes discipline to search it out. So then we ask in verses 8 and 9, where is wisdom formed? Look in verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. What we find in Proverbs, we said in the introduction, is a dad, Solomon, writing to his son, and he commends the wisdom that's flowing from mom and dad down to the child. And so if we're asking, like, where is wisdom to be formed? Well, the, ho- the home is one of the primary means in which God intends to shape the- these young minds that-, that Solomon is writing to. Right? Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The discipline and instruction of the Lord. That is, with reference to Christ, we bring up these kids. We teach Christ because in Him are hidden all the riches of, are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Through the proclamation of Christ, Paul says in the book of Colossians, that's how people mature. Him we proclaim that we may present every man mature. So we proclaim Christ. We, we counsel with reference to Christ. We bring, we, we, for the parents in the room, we desire to bring children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so that they might avoid the path of folly, that they might avoid the path of foolishness, that they might be be stable. And that's not like a a promise, right? Just because a a kid goes wayward, we don't like retroactively say, oh, you must not have, we're not going there. Right, but what a tragedy. What a tragedy when the if... The only sort of knowledge and instruction that's passed down to kids is what sports team to root for, how strong to drink our coffee, and how to be patriotic. What a, what a waste. You know, on this Father's Day, my goal is not to, to beat down dads or, or moms for that matter. But I want to encourage you this morning that with God's help, With God's help, you can step into this God-given role. And you can do what God is calling you to do. You know, I think sometimes we we make things so complicated and hard, and and then they feel too overwhelming, and we don't know where to start. So so here's a place to start if, if you're not doing it. Just start reading the Bible together as a family. It doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to explain the Greek construction of John 1.1 to your four-year-old, right? Some of you can. That's, go for it. But just put the truth in front of them, right? I remember reading this book, little book by Donald Whitney uh, called Family Worship. And, you know, one of the things that, like, parents sometimes struggle with is, I don't, I don't know how to start. I don't, is it going to be awkward? And he, sa- he just says, here's what you do. You say, I believe God wants me to do this. Will you join me? And it's just funny that that was like a shock to me. I'm like, oh, it is that simple, isn't it? Well, here in Proverbs, you have a dad and a mom who are taking the responsibility serious to pass down wisdom to their children. 
They are imparting instruction and teaching in the fear of the Lord. And let me just encourage you children here this morning. Do do, do you want to be wise? Do you want those things we talked about? Knowledge, instruction, discipline, self-control, righteousness. Do you want to be wise this morning? I, I hope you do. And a place to start is hearing from mom and dad as they seek to pass down God's word to you. As they seek to help you know who God is. As they seek to train you in what God is like and, and to teach you how we might honor and please Him. And some of you, you can praise God this morning that you, you had that growing up. You had parents that poured into you wisdom. And they cared enough to point you towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. And verse 9 says to to this son, that this sort of Christ-centered, God-fearing counsel is a garland for your head and a pendant around your neck. This is something worthy of praise. It's elegant and it's beautiful. But then let's look at what threatens them to get in the way of mom and dad's instruction. And of course, the family's not the only place, right? We, we just We don't have time to go We've got the church where Jesus says, you've been given mothers and brothers and sisters. Wisdom is formed in community together in the church as well. But Let's look at number four. What gets in the way of wisdom? Look in verse 10 there. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our house with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way of them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. What I love about the book of Proverbs is that it doesn't deal with some idealistic vision of life. Right? It deals with the world as it is. It is not a naive view of this world. It is a realistic view of this world. And so Solomon recognizes this world is one of enticement where people are pulled and pushed and prodded from almost every direction to choose the path of folly. And he sees this coming down the road. And he's not just just reacting to everything. He's not just going on defense. He goes on the offensive and he addresses a coming threat to wisdom. And the threat is there in verse 10. It's the enticement to sin. The dad recognizes that there will be those who would seek to lead his son astray. And those who seek to do this type of work, they're, they're experts at undermining mom and dad's wisdom that they're trying to pour down into their children. And they're experts at making foolishness look attractive. We'll see, it at, we'll see it in Proverbs 9. We'll see it in other places. We see it here. right? It's, a, it, it's enticing. right? There's a couple cards that are played in, in this, these 10 verses here. The first one is, come fulfill your desires. Come fulfill your greedy desires. Look there in verse 13. We shall all find precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Look at 19. What what does Solomon call it? They're greedy for unjust gain. Greedy for unjust gain. And so what they're holding out in this enticement to this young man is, hey, you want riches? You want to avoid poverty? Well, you could work hard your whole life, or we can go take it from people. And it'll be quick, and it'll be overnight. We'll just fill our house. We can fulfill our own greedy desires. So part of the, part of the allure is that you can have sort of these promises of wisdom without actually walking in wisdom if you're willing to just go take it from others. And so all over Proverbs, you hear these calls to, to work hard and, and, and avoid you know, the, the consequences of laziness. 
You know, that's, a, that's just a principle that's laid down. When you work hard, you typically won't fall into poverty. It's not a promise. It's a principle. Well, the, in, the enticers here, they promise you'll be rich and you won't have to do the hard work. We'll just take from other people. So that's one of the, the cards they play. Is like, come fulfill your sinful passions, your desires. It'll be easy and you'll get all this stuff. The second thing that is promised is a strong sense of, of community. Now we're talking about those who would seek to draw somebody in the path of folly. What do they hold out? Come fulfill all your desires. Secondly, there's community here. There's a family here. Throw, verse 14, throw in your lot among us. Throw in your lot. We'll all have one purse together. So we said, you know, mom and dad are trying to pour this wisdom into their kids, and then here comes this, this other substitute replacement family, right? If you are, if you are surprised at the, the, the prevalence, sort of the, the quick approach of something like transgenderism, you might just think about how close that community is. What, what are they offering? There's community here. You know, for the young people here this morning, it should be like a siren going off in your head. Recognize and be, beware of any friends, teachers, somebody on Instagram, TikTok, wherever, who would seek to draw you away from your family and undermine the counsel they're trying to give you. And parents, one thing we can do is, is foster a sort of openness and close relationship at home. Strong families are a protection against being drawn into these other types of communities, these allurements. You know, there is, no, there is no doubt, right? We're doing this thing for parents in September uh, on parenting in a subversive age because it, it just the world wants to undermine you as if you're a mom or a dad. You know, one thing I encouraged at the Counseling Conference was, you know, parents encourage godly relationships even if it costs you. Right? Inconvenience yourself if your child wants to have kids over from church. They can come mess up your house. It's going to be, it's going to be all right. Because the reality is, when we see this over and over and over in Proverbs, you become like who you hang around. So tie yourself and your family to the church. Tie young people to older people in the church. Have people in your home that are going to be saying the same sorts of things you've been saying to your kids. So there's these voices that want to want to compete with the voices of parents, but but the enticers they don't tell the full story, right? They only tell half the story. Fulfill your desires. There's strong community here. You can throw in your lot among us. We'll share the same purse. But these enticers miss what's coming, right? The specific temptation in Proverbs chapter one is is to join a violent gang. Right? I said Proverbs is practical. Love the practicality of Proverbs. Come join this violent gang. We'll kill people and take their money. It's not just like a 21st century issue. The dad here reminds him that this sort of life, it's, it's a life of vain. So he gives this example there in verse 17. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. He says a, a bird is smart enough, if he can sit there and watch you set the trap, he's smart enough not to step into it, right? You can't like set the fake turkey in the field and just lean up against the fake turkey, right? You know, I'm a fisherman. So even a fish is smart enough to like swim away when it comes and, and sees you there. But he says the one who sets out in a life of violence is not even as wise as this bird, because what they're actually doing is they're setting their own trap and they're walking into it. Because if you give yourself over to a life of violence, you walk into violence yourself. And so part of growing in, in wisdom is beginning to, to, to see past the immediate, past the allure, past, hey, let's go get this together, even if we have to hurt people to go get it. Past the present moment, it's to begin to recognize the true nature of folly and that the end of foolishness is destruction. So many young people think they're just invincible. And Solomon warns his son here, you're not invincible. 
you want to run with that sort of crowd, you will suffer harm, he says. The path of folly leaves one with only death and destruction where wisdom is a, is a garland for your head and a pendant around your neck. All right, one last question this morning. What's at stake? Look in verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the, at the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by the turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. So you've got the, the, the tempters, right? The, the enticers that have these promises of fulfillment, short-circuit God's wisdom, and you still get, still get what you want. But they're not the only voice, right? Here we find wisdom crying out in the streets, at the gates of the city, going to the busy parts of the city. And we see then what we said earlier. God's wisdom is available to all who will turn to aside, right? Come, hear wisdom. To the one who is simple, to the one who is sort of at the crossroads, well, simple, she asks, how long will you remain there? Won't you turn at my reproof? Will you fear God and come to God in repentant faith? Or will you be enticed down this life that will end up claiming your life? And so verse 20, wisdom is sort of personified as a woman crying out in the streets. The simple can turn in. There's hope actually for the scoffer and the fool. There's times in Proverbs where it sounds like the fool is unreachable, and if they won't hear, they, they are, because the fool is proud. The fool is blinded to the, actually the reality of their own status. The, the fool disregards God and his will. They make a mess out of their lives, and they hate discipline. That's the, that's the biblical fool. But even here, it says, if you'll turn, if you'll turn at my reproof, I'll pour out my spirit upon you. Even scoffers. Those who have been involved in leading others astray. The scoffer is more intense than the fool. Not only do I despise God, I'm bringing other people with me. They too might turn, and wisdom will be made known to that person. You know, actually, if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I've been, I've been hardened towards the Lord. I've been a fool. If you, if you see that even about yourself, you may very well be down this path of finding wisdom. See, God is, God is patient, and He offers the opportunity to repent and turn to Him, but we see really quickly that, that God's patience will not endure forever. Right? That is how our, our passage ends, with this call of impending judgments. If you turn at my reproof, verse 23, Behold, I will pour out my Spirit to you. I will make my words made known to you. But then in verse 24, because you didn't. There's going to be a storm of affliction and calamity and disaster that will come upon you. Ultimately, God's wisdom here points us to Christ. The, 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 the fool will be swept away, right, in judgment. Many in this life 
All who spurn God and refuse to fear Him and turn from Him will be rightly judged by God at the end. And this comes like a storm, like a whirlwind. Like calamity sometimes comes upon us in this life, judgment comes quickly. And the fool will be unprepared. The wise, though, in verse 33, are secure. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. The reason I said wisdom in Proverbs reminds us of Christ, because I'm just wondering, as you hear those words, those who don't turn aside are swept away in disaster. Those who do will dwell securely. I wonder if those words ring familiar to you. Blessing for those who turn calamity for those who persist in their own greedy desires and ignore impending judgments. You know, we've spent enough time in Luke over the last couple of years to recognize that sort of preaching. Right? You see, when wisdom speaks in Proverbs, it's sort of giving voice to an attribute of God, His wisdom. And the voice of wisdom is not like, like something in addition to God. This is not a voice outside of God. It's actually just giving voice to His wisdom. It's the attribution of words to this very characteristic of God. And so when Jesus comes as God in the flesh, He is the wisdom of God. That's what Paul calls Him in 1 Corinthians. So it's no surprise that the words of wisdom mirror the words of Christ. At the end of Chapter 1 reminds me so much of the foolish builder, right? The fool does not hear, he hears and does not obey the word of Christ. And he builds his house on the sand. And when the storm comes, the building is completely destroyed. The fool hears and does not obey. But there's a building that's, that's built on a solid foundation. They dig down, pass the sand, build it on the rock. And the same storm comes, and that house stands secure. The wise person in Luke, the wise person in Proverbs, is the one who will hear and obey. And only the wise can withstand the the coming storm. That's why we've been pointing to Christ throughout the sermon, that wisdom begins with coming to Him, admitting your sin, calling on Him for forgiveness, and trusting in His death and resurrection as the only sufficient Uh, payment for your son. And if you've done that, many of you have. If you've turned to Christ, you've thrown yourself at Him, you're relying fully on His work, not on your own righteousness, not on your own deeds. You you, you say, I'm all in on Christ because He's the only means to pay for my sins. If you've done that, there is no fear of the storm that's mentioned in Proverbs or the storm that's mentioned in Luke chapter 6. There's only proper, true fear of God. Verse 33 again, then we'll pray. But whoever listens to me, if you hear and obey, will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Let's pray together. Lord God, would you make us wise? Would you give us disciplined hearts that pursue wisdom? Lord, would you open eyes to the glory of the gospel so that those who are in darkness, who are walking the path of foolishness, might turn and that you might pour your spirit out on them. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing our final hymn.